I think a lot of us find ourselves right now asking the same question. How are we supposed to navigate just these crazy times in which we live? We are living through a, a season when fearfulness is commonplace. And not just this week, not just this month, not just this crisis, but there are times where our world these days, it just feels like fear is inescapable. You know, you survive one threat and there's another one that, that emerges immediately. There, there's always some new thing that we're told that we should fear. And you know, the honest truth is much of it never really becomes a reality. You know, stuff like Y2K, we all look back at that and we, we chuckle at this point. We were laughing then, were we? Our fearfulness is fed and then it is exploited by the media, by retailers, by politicians, all seeking to get out of us what they can in our weakness. And yet, there is much in this world that we should respect. There are things that should get our attention, that we should give them due consideration. You and I, we are frail creatures. Even under the best of conditions, none of us can guarantee our next breath or our next heartbeat. Our bodies are certainly not indestructible like we thought they were at 16. We are not untouchable. But here's the key. Here's the thing that we've got to remember. We are not our bodies. Our bodies don't define who we are. And this life isn't all there is. This life isn't what we're living for. If we are right with God, if we are in Christ, and that causes me to want to ask this, are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? Do you belong to him? If you do, then death can only bring you to heaven. <laughs> and heaven is a far better place than Rathdrum. <laughs> We get to look past the end of this life and we get to look into an eternity in paradise with the Savior. Hey, friends, our Savior is greater. He is greater than the troubles of this life. He is greater than death itself. Ask any third grade Sunday school student and they can tell you this, our God is so big and so strong and so mighty, there's nothing our God cannot do, right? You remember that? Some of you need to go back to Sunday school. That's why Jesus told his disciples, yes, in this life, you will have suffering. You will have suffering in this world, but be courageous, Jesus said because I've overcome the world. No matter what we are facing, 
Jesus is greater. That fact is so crystal clear in our passage this morning. Where we pick up where we left off last week, Luke chapter 7. Open your Bibles, grab your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 7. We're going to pick up in verse 11, and we're only going to go through verse 17. But what we're going to see there so very clearly is that no matter what we're facing, Jesus is greater. Will you do this? Will you stand? I'll read our passage. You can follow along. I encourage you to do so. Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 11, it says this. Afterward, he was on his way to a town called Nain. His disciples and a large crowd were traveling with him. Just as he neared the gate of the town, a dead man was being carried out. He was his mother's only son, and she was a widow. A large crowd from the city was also with her. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said, don't weep. And he came up and touched the open coffin, and the pallbearers stopped. And he said, young man, I tell you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Then fear came over everyone, and they glorified God, saying, a great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. This report about him went throughout Judea and all the vicinity. Father, I pray that you would just speak life to us this morning. I pray, Father, that we would, we would see, we would understand, we would receive the truths from your word. And God, we would respond to them. God, I pray that by the work of your Holy Spirit, you'd breathe boldness and fearlessness and confidence and faith into us this morning. We look to you to work, and we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. It was at his first inauguration that President Franklin D. Roosevelt, at the very height of the Great Depression, made that famous statement. He said this, first of all, let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself, nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror, which paralyzes needed efforts to convert retreat into advance. That's a good word for the Christian. That's a really good word. Of course, FDR wanted us to put our hope in the government. We know better than that, right? And thankfully, the Christian has a far better hope, one that is far more secure. And that makes FDR's statement here even more true for you and for me. There is nothing that Jesus can't handle if we will trust him. But it's fear. It's fear that keeps us from resting in faith in Christ. 
It's fear that drives us toward selfishness and and self-focus. The enemy loves to to hit us with fear because he knows that it, it not only will effectively cause us to pull back from trusting the Lord, Cause us to pull back from each other as well. Fear is the enemy's tool. And, and Paul reminds Timothy of this. 2 Timothy 1.7, he reminds him that fear does not come from God. He says this, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, of love, and of sound judgment. 1 John 4.18 says this, there is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear. Instead of fearing, the Lord wants us to trust him, even when it's hard. And so he has given us reason to trust him. He has given us evidence to bolster our faith so that when life gets hard, and we are tempted to become fearful, we can know that there is no problem that is too great for our Savior. There is no situation that is beyond his power because he is God Almighty. Seems quite appropriate to me that after Jesus spent time teaching the crowds and calling them to follow him, to to let him shape their lives. Really what he was saying was, I want you to build the whole of your lives upon me. That was the message that he was giving them. And after giving them that message, it just makes sense that he would then offer them reason to trust him, that he would give them evidence to encourage their faith. And I think that's exactly what he does. As we saw last week, as he returns into the city of Capernaum and there he heals the centurion's servant. And then in our passage this morning, there beginning in verse 11, we read that after that, that he was on his way to a town called Nain and his disciples and the large crowd were traveling with him. So Jesus leaves Capernaum uh, that was on the northern tip of the Sea of Galilee, and he walks about 40 miles south. Now think about that. That's a long walk. And the crowds go with him through rugged territory. And then just outside the village of Nain, not far from Nazareth, The crowds with him, verse 12, just as he neared the gate of the town, a dead man was being carried out. He was his mother's only son and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the city was also with her. And so we see that two crowds meet just outside the little village of Nain. One is following Jesus. The other follows a casket. One follows life. The other follows after death. One crowd has no hope. A a widow burying her only son and with him burying her own life and livelihood. She carries alone the grief that only a mother can know. She carries it alone. 
The other crowd is filled with hopeful expectation, hoping that the Messiah has come, that God is among them. But is their hope well-founded? Is this teacher, this rabbi, worthy of their hope, of their worship? Some of them had to be wandering. They had to be wondering. They had listened to his teaching. They had believed and responded to his teaching. They were with him when the centurion's servant was healed. But they didn't actually see it, did they? They, they didn't see it happen. They just heard that it had happened. And even if they had seen it, maybe he had just gotten better. And even if it was a healing, healings were not something that were completely unheard of. Was Jesus really the Messiah? So now, as Jesus is passing by Nain, he comes face to face with death, our ultimate enemy. A grieving mother, a young man's lifeless body, a village gathered together to mourn an ending that is entirely without hope. We would do well, especially in our current season, to be reminded that death without Jesus is an ending entirely without hope. As scripture is, is just crystal clear on this. Unless we receive forgiveness in Christ, then we die guilty of sin, alienated from God, utterly destined for hell. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9 makes this very clear. It says that when he, that is Christ, takes vengeance with flaming fire on those who don't know God and on those who don't obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will pay the penalty of eternal destruction from the Lord's presence. For those who die without Christ, it is truly a day entirely without hope. That should move us. It should affect us. For some, it should cause us to ask if we are in Christ. For others, it should move us to speak to those we love, to those we know, who don't yet know the Savior. God doesn't want anyone to go down that path. He doesn't want anyone to experience that. He, he loves us. As Jesus put it, for God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God has done everything, everything to allow us to be saved. But we must choose. We must choose. He is compassionate and so he paid the price for our sin himself. 
He loves us. And so he revealed himself to us and he draws us to him. We see that same compassion being expressed toward this poor widow as well. Look at verse 13. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said, don't weep. Notice what it says there. Notice, first of all, that the Lord saw her. The Lord saw her. Jesus saw her and suddenly she wasn't alone. Her, her pain was known by him and shared by the Savior. He acknowledged her grief. When it says that Jesus had compassion on her, the, the words that Luke chooses here, it's absolutely the strongest way that it, it could have been phrased. There, there is no stronger wording that Luke could have used to express the fact that Jesus' heart was moved to its very depths. Jesus connects with this woman's grief. You know, that's the pattern we're to follow. As we care for each other, we're not supposed to just give each other right answers. Now, right answers are way better than wrong answers, okay? Let's be clear on that. But with those right answers... Romans 12, 15 tells us we are to rejoice with those who rejoice. And it tells us we are to weep with those who weep. I don't think Scripture is telling us to just fake something. It's telling us to let our hearts connect, to truly grieve with those who are grieving. And yet, in the midst of that, Jesus tells this woman, don't weep. He tells a mother who is burying her only son not to weep. And that might seem a bit unkind or unfeeling or, or even lacking comprehension of what it is that's going on. But, but understand this, whenever God gives us a command, whenever the Lord gives us a command, he makes obedience a blessing, not a burden. Whenever God gives us a command, he makes obedience a blessing, not a burden. Jesus We'll say it in, in chapter 11 of Luke's gospel, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. We're blessed when we obey. When Jesus calls us to obey him, he also gives us the grace to obey him if we'll choose it. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 9.8 that God is able to make every grace overflow to you. Why? So that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. God makes grace overflow to us so that we can do what he's called us to do. The Lord empowers us to obey him. And look how he empowered this mother to no longer weep. Verse 14, 
And then he came up and he touched the open coffin and the pallbearers stopped. And he said, young man, I tell you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to speak and Jesus gave him to his mother. What a scene that had to have been. What a scene. People not knowing how to respond when Jesus stops the funeral. The awkwardness when they suddenly realize that he's speaking to the dead guy. And then the shock when this young man sits up and the disbelief as he begins to talk. I have to wonder, what did he talk about? Hey, you know, my mind goes to the comedic. I kind of wonder if he just picked up exactly where he'd left off right after saying, hey, mom, watch this. Or right after, you know, saying, don't be ridiculous, I feel fine. Uh, or maybe, I, I wonder if he was confused. He's like, what is going on? Why are you carrying me? Why am I dressed like this? You know, well, what is going on? Maybe it was a holy moment. Maybe it was a moment where he began to declare the things that he had experienced on the other side. I, I don't know. But what an experience. What a moment. And I love the last part of verse 15, where it says that Jesus gave him to his mother. You see, he told her to stop weeping. And now he enabled her to stop. Oh, maybe she kept weeping, but it was a different kind of weeping. Maybe it was tears of joy at that moment. He made it impossible for her to continue mourning. She had her son, her hope, her provision back. Jesus shows not only great compassion. I think very importantly, he also shows great power here. He shows that he is the resurrection and the life. In a very similar situation, in John eleven twenty five, 25, as Lazarus lies dead in his tomb temporarily, Jesus declares this, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Jesus says that he is not only the source of life, he is life. The life is the gift that he and he alone gives. That he is the one who dispenses life to all those who believe in him. And this life that he gives, he, he is clear here, it isn't just physical life. Because notice what he says there, that even if you die, you will live forever. He's not just talking about physical life. He, he's talking here about eternal life. Jesus takes you and I, who, who like Lazarus, who, who like this young man, who are dead spiritually, helpless, hopeless. And he speaks to us, giving us life. 
eternal life. As Jesus says in John 5, 24, anyone who hears my word and believes who, him who sent me has eternal life. He will not come under judgment, but he has passed from death to life. That's what Jesus offers, life, a life that even death cannot destroy because it's life eternal. And so I ask again, have you put your faith in Jesus? Have you put your faith in Christ? This is certainly a season when we are being reminded of our mortality. So I guess the question here isn't what do you know about Jesus, but are you ready? Have you put your trust in Jesus? Have you put your faith in Christ? Are you depending upon him? Have you asked for forgiveness for your sin? Have you, have you surrendered your life to the Savior? Understand this. Here in Luke 7, Jesus resuscitates this man to a normal earthly life. Meaning that eventually this young man would once again die. I wonder if he saw it coming. Here we go again. Wonder if he viewed it differently the second time around. Regardless, he faced it again, as each of us will, sooner or later. But you and I, you and I have not been offered resuscitation by the Lord. We have been offered resurrection. Jesus has offered not to keep this physical life going forever, but he has offered to give us life beyond this physical world where we will never die again. That's the power of the Savior. Look at verse 16. Then fear came over everyone. Fear, fear, the right kind of fear. Then fear came over everyone and they glorified God saying, a great prophet has, has risen among us and God has visited his people. And this report about him went throughout Judea and all the vicinity. When the people following Jesus and the people following the casket, when they saw what Jesus did, when he gave them evidence to believe, when he encouraged their faith in him, not just as a miracle worker, but as God among them. They were changed. At least in that moment, they seemed to see clearly. They seemed to see clearly that it was God who was among them. As John 1.14 declares that the word that is Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us, we observed his glory, the glory of the one and only Son from the Father. Jesus 
called his disciples and the crowds to build their lives upon him. Remember that? Build your house upon the solid rock, not upon the sand. And then he went to Capernaum and he healed the centurion's servant. And then these crowds went for a long walk with him all the way to Nain, where he raised this young man. Why? I think so that they would know that this one who was calling them to build their life upon him, he was worthy of that. And so that we would know, so that you and I would know that we can trust the Savior with our lives. We can trust him with our salvation and we can trust him with the living of our lives today. That we don't have to be owned by fear. It's a good word for today, isn't it? We don't know what's going to come with this virus or with whatever it is that will be next in line, because there will be another thing. You, you realize that fully, right? This won't be the last. But we do know this. Our Savior is greater. He is greater. And whether he chooses to bring us to heaven or to continue to use us here, it's his call. Let's trust him. Let's walk by faith. Let's not succumb to turning inward, to living selfishly, just trying to preserve this life. Let's live outward. Let's care for others. Let's be his ambassadors in this world. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Savior. Lord, I ask that as you stirred the faith of those people that were with you on that road outside of that little village, God, you would stir our faith this morning. God, that you would remind us that you are greater. That there is no situation, there is no problem, there is no, no threat that is greater than you. That you have given us life that endures beyond death. That is our hope. May we live for that. May we glorify you. May we serve you in the midst of the chaos of this world. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.